Sketch 19 of Zora Boys at Home and Abroad, or How to Succeed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christopher Most. Zora Boys at Home and Abroad, or How to Succeed by William Alexander McKay. Sketch 19. Honorable James Sutherland, M.P. One of the charges not infrequently brought against Scotchmen, and especially Highlanders, is that they are not sufficiently cosmopolitan in their views and sympathies. The political history of Zora does not bear this out in charge. As part of the county of Oxford, the district has been represented in Parliament by such distinguished men from a distance as Sir Francis Hinks, Honorable George Brown, Honorable William McDougall, and Sir Oliver Moat. But while thus appreciating and appropriating outside talent, the people of Zora have not been remiss in recognizing talent at home. From the standpoint of business ability, it would be hard to find three men superior to the late Donald Matheson, the late Thomas Oliver, and Honorable James Sutherland, the country's three home representatives, and each of them a Zora man. Like most men who have come to the front in our day, James Sutherland was born and reared in the country. On the farm he developed those physical and mental qualities which have fitted him for one position of trust after another, until today he is an esteemed member of the Dominion Cabinet. James Sutherland comes of good Highland Scotch stock his father, Alexander Sutherland, having removed to this country in 1841 from Cathishire. He was himself born in what is known as the Scotch Block, Ancaster, Ontario, in 1849. His mother, Alison Renton, was the daughter of John Renton, one of the pioneers of Ancaster. She died before James reached the age of three, and his father, after moving to the Tenth Line, East Zora, died in 1857, before the lad was eight years of age. It is wonderful how many men of mark have lost their fathers early. Not so many, however, their mothers. The loss of the father, by throwing great responsibility upon the boy, helps not infrequently to develop his manhood, but alas for the poor motherless boy. James Sutherland received his primary education in the country school, and among his teachers was the now well-known Reverend Dr. Robertson, superintendent of Presbyterian missions in Manitoba and the Northwest Territories. He afterwards attended the Woodstock Grammar School, at that time taught by the late George Strachan. While attending the Woodstock School, he always walked to and from his home in the country, and on Saturdays worked for John Forrest and Company, in the store, and buying grain on the market. When fifteen years of age, he left school, and entered upon five years of service in a business establishment in Ingersoll. In 1869, when only twenty years of age, he bought the large general store of John Forrest in Woodstock, and set up in business for himself. Already we see in the young man more than ordinary mental activity and business energy. In the twenty-fourth year of his age, Mr. Sutherland sold his store and bought the banking and exchange business of the late John McKay of Woodstock. About this time, also, he purchased the Ontario Vinegar Works at Hamilton. Not long ago, when the modern method of manufacturing acetylene gas was discovered by a Woodstock scientist, Mr. T. L. Wilson, Mr. Sutherland quickly recognized the possibilities involved in the discovery, and joined with Mr. Wilson in the manufacture of calcium carbide, the article from which acetylene gas is now obtained. Already a factory is in operation in Meryton, Ontario, and a much larger one at the Chaudière Falls, Ottawa. They are at present engaged in developing an immense water power in the province of Quebec at the confluence of the Shipshaw River and the Saguenay, with the intention of erecting a factory for export trade. Mr. Sutherland's business career has been characterized by energy, tact, caution, and a large measure of success. Very early in life he began to take an interest in the public affairs of his town and country. When but twenty-seven years of age, he placed his foot on the lowest rung of the ladder, being elected to represent St. George's Ward in the Woodstock Town Council. Promotion came quickly, for during the three following years he was elected Reeve of the Town and a member of the County Council. He next, 1880, occupied the position of Mayor of the Town, and in the same year was appointed to the Board of Trustees of the Woodstock Grammar School, a position he has retained at the present time. He has always shown much interest in the progress of educational affairs. 
Perhaps more than any other man, Mr. Sutherland has been instrumental in making Woodstock the splendid railway and business center it is today. He is a charter member of the Woodstock Board of Trade, and was elected a member of the first board of water commissioners of town, and has been a member of the trustee board of the Woodstock Hospital since its inception. He has had the somewhat remarkable record of never having been defeated in a popular election for any public office. But Mr. Sutherland's attentions have not been confined to the municipal and educational affairs. He has given considerable thought and time to military, athletic, and social matters. As a boy, he joined the 22nd Battalion, Oxford Rifles, and has since held the positions of sergeant, captain, quartermaster, and paymaster, the last of which he now holds with the rank of major. A handsome trophy in the possession of Mr. Sutherland, which he values highly, is a cup won by the famous Zora tug-of-war team, in a contest in the city of Buffalo for the championship of America, Mr. Sutherland at that time being their captain. Mr. Sutherland is a mason of long standing, and has been master of Oxford Lodge and Grand Senior Warden of the Grand Lodge of Ontario. He was also at one time Royal Chief of the Order of Scottish Clans of America. Mr. Sutherland's parliamentary career dates from the year 1880, and today there are only seven members in the House of Commons who have sat continuously for so long a time. In that year, on the sudden death of Mr. Thomas Oliver, he was elected to represent North Oxford. Since that time he has sat in Parliament, without interruption, having been returned in all six times, his majority having gradually increased from 370 in his first election to 1602 in the election of the present year. In 1891 he was chosen Chief Liberal Whip, a position he held for eight years, during which time, by his unfailing tact, broad sympathies, and generous good nature, he won the esteem alike of political friends and opponents. Probably no other man has been as closely identified with the internal affairs of the Liberal Party during recent years. In 1893 he was chairman of the Committee of General Arrangements at the Great Liberal Convention held in Ottawa, when the seed was sown from which resulted the abundant harvests of 1896 and 1900. As chairman of the Railway Committee, which is the largest committee of the House, Mr. Sutherland has shown a great strength of purpose and an ability to grapple with large questions which place him in the front rank as a leader of men. Thus he rose, step by step on the ladder, till the 30th of September, 1899, he became a member of the Privy Council and of the Dominion Cabinet. His constituents seized upon this important event in his career to again testify their unbounded admiration for the talents which had won for him such distinction in the councils of the nation, and tendered him such a demonstration as has seldom been witnessed in Western Ontario. I quote a sentence or two from one of the daily papers. Probably never before in the history of Woodstock has the town been the scene of such a demonstration as was witnessed there last night at the reception of Honorable James Sutherland, the newly appointed cabinet minister. Nearly every inhabitant of Woodstock was on the street. Poor men were there, and wealthy men. Artisans jostled their employers. Conservatives were as enthusiastic as liberals. A crowd of various social stations and of opposite political opinions. But on this occasion, being united in the common desire of doing honor to the man, whose worth has been proven by long years of municipal and national labors, and has been recognized by the government in his elevation to the privy councillorship. The reception was worthy of the man. As the 714 train pulled into the Canadian Pacific Railway Station, cheers of welcome from thousands of throats rent the air. The waving motion of the sea of torches and the shower of rockets told the expectant crowds farther up the street that the minister had arrived. From the station, the vast procession marched to the skating rink, where enthusiastic speeches were made by leading citizens. All were proud of the Zorro boy who lived among them, had labored for them, and who had by his own worth and perseverance raised himself to one of the highest positions in the gift of his country. A recent writer, discussing Mr. Sutherland's appointment to the cabinet, says, Possessed of caution, keen perception, and rare executive ability, Mr. Sutherland has now won for himself an honorable place in the House. His greatest enemy has never accused him of being a self-seeker. 
of a modest and retiring nature he does not frequently speak at length in the house but whenever he rises the members listen with attention to his utterances the businessman who can quietly go along in an unostentious way and achieve honor for himself and his country by his foresight and executive ability will make a much better cabinet minister than those who have no stock in trade but high-sounding oratory end of sketch nineteen honorable james sutherland m p read by christopher most